So this morning we've got the joy of having Gav with us. Gav is one of our trustees um, here at Chelmsford Vineyard, so he keeps us, um, you know, <laughs> keeps us out of trouble. <laughs> so um, Gav's all come all the way from Nottingham um, just for the weekend, so it's really great to have him with us. So Gav, over to you. Big, big thank you thank for you. coming. So. Thank you, thank you. Uh, just to say, like, coming, so it, it's normally about once a year or something like that that Ali, my wife, and I come down with our kids and visit the church. We absolutely love this church. Um, there's so, so much good stuff that goes on here. Like, you will know if, you, if you've been around here for a little while, it's a busy church. There's always stuff going on. Um, and sometimes that can, feel, that can feel costly because actually getting involved, um, like, there's a lot to do. There's a lot that's happening. But I know that the heart behind everything that happens here is we've got good news to share and we want to try and share it with as many people as possible. And so for those of you who are regulars here, like you are doing an incredible job. Um, all the different things that you're doing with, you know, with l things with parent talk or all the grow baby stuff out of Molsham Street, all those kind of things, which Pip is doing an absolutely incredible job of, of heading that up and making sure those things are, are running smoothly. Like, it is absolutely brilliant. You may not necessarily know and understand the impact that you're having on your city. Oh, city. It's not a city, is it? It is a city. I see, I, I was having this dilemma as we drove, drove in this morning, and I, I was like, I'm sure Chelmsford is a city. But then it said something about a town somewhere, and I, was, I got confused. Anyway, you may not know the impact you're having on your city, but there most definitely is one. Um, so keep on going. You're doing a brilliant job. Um, well done. Um... Right, a slightly different tack. A, a few weeks ago, um, I was going out uh, with a group of friends that we, we affectionately call ourselves the Curry Club. Uh, there's a group of four of us, and over the last six years or so, we have done our very, very best to try and visit every single curry house in Nottingham City Centre. And we've made, we've made a pretty significant dent in that. It's, uh, it's just one of those brilliant evenings when it goes in the diary, we're always excited about it coming up. And we have a scoring system. So at the end of the evening, we rate how good the curry house was on a scale of naan out of 10. So um, that's a, if, if anyone wants to take that model, you're very welcome to take that. Um, but we were going to uh, another curry club, and my friend had uh, offered to pick me up on his way through. And uh, I don't know if you've got friends like this, but um, so Dan has a Tesla. And when, when a friend who has a Tesla says to me, would you like me to pick you up? My answer is yes. Uh, and so he, he drove up outside the house, and I went round the side of the car, and they've got these really cool handles on the car where you push the button in, the handle comes out, it's all concealed otherwise. You open it, it makes a really nice, nice noise as you get in. You sit down in the leather seat, you look at the, the large touchscreen display. It's, it's a lovely, lovely experience. And so I was kind of just slowly putting myself down into the seat of his Tesla. And then he turned to me and he said, Gav, before we go anywhere, I've got a confession to make. And suddenly, in that moment, I was no longer thinking about this lovely car, but there was that jolt, I've got a confession to make. In that moment, I didn't really know what he was going to say next. You know, suddenly, there's all sorts of things racing through my mind, like, what, what is this confession? What's he going to say? Is there a problem in his marriage? Was there something that he's been hiding for years, but suddenly, on the way to Curry Club, he's decided this is the moment to tell me about? I didn't really know what was going on, and my mind was racing all over the place. Those words, I've got a confession, triggered something within me. 
Now, you'll be pleased to know that, you know, the, the reality was he was actually just using that as a bit of a turn of phrase. Like, there wasn't anything bad, there wasn't anything significant, but I took note of the fact that when he said that, something happened within me, something changed within me. And so I've been thinking over the last few weeks, you know, what is it about that? What, what happened when he said, I've got a confession? So let me ask you, when someone says to you the word confession, or they turn to you and say, I've got a confession to make, how do you feel? Is, is confession for you something that sounds positive? Is it something that sounds negative? Maybe you think of a, a scene from a movie where someone who has done something wrong, and we know that they've all done something wrong, you know, they go to, um, to a church, they sit in a confession booth, they, uh, they confess to a Catholic priest who, who is there to try and make um, amends between them and God. Maybe you've been in one of those confession booths yourself. Maybe you have literally sat in that confession seat. Or maybe you know someone um, who has been part of the AA program, you know, the 12-step recovery program, and the fifth step of that is the step of confession, where you, you have to admit to, to God and to yourself <coughs> and to others that the choices you've made are wrong and you need to turn away from them. But if you're anything like me, the, the idea of confession probably brings up some uncomfortable feelings inside of you. Uh, perhaps you would do your very best, if you possibly can, to avoid those feelings. And, and if that is you, you're certainly not the only person in the room who feels like that. And so as I've been processing you know, what happened when, when my friend said about confession to me, um, there's been a particular verse in the Bible that I've been drawn to that talks specifically about this. Uh, and this, this verse is found in the book of 1 John, uh, which is towards the end of the Bible. Confusingly, there are three books called, well, there's four books called John in the Bible, but towards the end of the Bible, you've got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and then Revelation, which is the final book. So if you've got your Bible and you want to look, it's, it's right towards the end. And it's two verses from, jo uh, from 1 John, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And, and the author, um, John, was writing these words somewhere around about 80 AD, something like that. Um, so you know, maybe 50 years after Jesus had died. Uh, and so he writes these, uh, these words in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, that's some pretty black and white language there, isn't it? Um, and that's, that's how John writes. If you, if you read the whole of the book of, of 1 John, you'd find that it's filled with language that is very contrasting, very, very stark. It's black and white. It's light and dark. It's stop doing this and start doing what God has asked you to do. And it's a pretty bold thing to say, you know, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That's a bold claim to make, isn't it? It's confrontational, it's uncomfortable, and it's deeply challenging. In our current culture, in our society, you know, this language is even more uncomfortable because so much of what is talked about is, you know, that's your truth, this is mine. Everything seems relative rather than the absolute truth that is being talked about here. 
And as we look at our society, you know, all sorts of different things shifting and changing at the moment, um, everything seems pretty fluid and not necessarily like John is presenting it here. Even in recent months, you know, we've seen accusations levelled at all different political parties, all sorts of different politicians, when what we thought, or many of us interpreted as black and white, yes, no, regulations about coronavirus, apparently got interpreted in different ways by different people, and seemingly with no or little consequence for having broken them. But the Bible tells us that there are consequences to our actions. And the Bible goes as far as to say that the things that we do that aren't in line with God's will, those are called sin. And it tells us that every single one of us sins. We all fall short of the standard that God wants us to live at. And uh, in, in here, in, in this book of 1 John, God is being described as being pure light. That in him there's no darkness whatsoever. He is completely pure, the whitest of white, no blemish whatsoever. And by contrast, throughout this book of 1 John, it says, we aren't like that. We are not pure and uh, blameless like God is. And if we are completely honest, and it's uncomfortable to do sometimes, we, we would, you know, would realise that we don't even manage to live up to our own internal standards of living, let alone the standards that the Bible says are God's. I know that I, on a frequent, daily basis, fall short of my own expectations for how I would live. I get angry with my children when I shouldn't be doing that. I get a perverse pleasure from uh, criticizing other people behind their back, which is typically based around the idea that I want to drag them down so that I can feel better about myself. I find myself exaggerating and embellishing on stories, which is oftentimes so that I can put my own perspective and my own point of view forward rather than someone else. I know that I simply don't live up to my own standards of living, what I believe I should be able to do let alone the standards of living that God has outlined in the Bible that I am supposed to be trying to follow. And that's why there is enormous comfort in the fact that we don't just end at verse 8 there, but the next verse continues and gives us some hope. So against the backdrop of saying that you know, we're fooling ourselves if we say we don't fall short, John goes on to say that there is a tool that can move us from being guilty into being a place where we are pure. And that tool is confession. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So the picture that's being painted for us here is that we're on one side of a river. And you know, we, we know the things that we do that, um, that, that aren't up to standard. We know the things we think that aren't up to standard, the things that, we, um, that are going on inside of us. They're not up to our own standards, and they're definitely not up to the standard of the God of the Bible. But we all want to be on the other side of the river, where we don't feel guilty about things. But more than not just not feeling guilty, we want to be in a place where actually we feel free from all of these things, where we can feel whole and where we can feel right. And the good news is that there is a bridge that allows us to, to cross over that river from one side to another. And the bridge that allows us to cross over is confession. It's confession that gets us to freedom. It's confession that gets us to a place of forgiveness. So what is it that pushes us back against this? 
you know, why wouldn't we want to cross over that? What is the barrier that sometimes prevents us from doing that? And I want to suggest that it's because confession is something that confronts us. It's like a mirror in front of our faces. In order to confess, we have to admit that there is something that we have done or we haven't done that we know is not right. And doing that, you know, being confronted with that, is not something that we enjoy. Now, for me, I'm a pretty competitive person. I like to think that I can strive, I can work hard, I can do these things and, and get where I want to be on my own. But confession shows us that we're not able to win on our own. Confession shows us all of the ways that we've fallen short, and it's something that confronts us and is hard. And the reality is we definitely do fall short. We fall short every single day. And there are consequences when we fall short of God's standards. But the good news of the Bible is that even though we fall short, we don't have to suffer the consequences. We don't have to take the punishment that we deserve as a result of those things. Jesus has already stepped in. Jesus has already taken the punishment. And he, in response to that, is now offering every single one of us freedom and forgiveness as a result of what he has already done on the cross. The bridge that allows us to cross from one side of the river to the other is confession. But that bridge wouldn't be in place if Jesus hadn't done what he did on the cross. A couple of months ago, uh, I got to work a little bit early. I was hoping to get some work done before everyone else got in. Um, and uh, when I arrived at the front door, tried to open it, open my bag, couldn't find my keys. How many other people have done that? It's annoying. So I was, I was feeling frustrated with myself. I, um, I, I pressed the intercom, intercom system to see if anyone was already in the office, but I basically knew they wouldn't be because I was there early. Um, and so I had to stand and wait outside, which was a frustrating process. I'm normally pretty meticulous in terms of like, my planning and making sure that I've got what I need ready. And so there was, there was just that, oh, I've come in early and I've failed sense deep within me. I knew that I hadn't met my own standards for being ready and prepared. A handful of minutes later, um, someone else from the office turned up. Uh, they, they said to me, oh, what are you doing standing outside the office? And I had to explain the, well, uh, you know, I thought I was all prepared and ready this morning. Clearly wasn't. And that, that sense of frustration at having to explain to someone else, yep, I messed up this morning and now that's also impacting you. Frustration rose within me. A few minutes later, another colleague turned up. They also didn't have their keys because they didn't think they'd need them because I'm in most of the days before them. And so once again, we had the same conversation. Why are you standing outside? I forgot my keys. Frustration rose within me again. Now, I should explain that um, our building is a, it's like a four-story building. So we're not the only tenant there. But for this 10-minute period that we've been waiting outside, no one else had turned up. I don't quite know what's going on with work culture right now, but we'll, that's a different topic. So we're standing there, and eventually I thought, right, the only way I think I'm going to solve this is by phoning Ali and seeing if there's any chance that she might be able to basically drive by the office, find my keys, drive by the office, drop them off so that we can get in. Again, that's another point. That I was like, right, so now I've got to explain to her that I've messed up, I failed, I forgot to bring my keys. Again, third or fourth time of explaining the same process. Frustration rises again. 
And then as I was on the phone to Ali, uh, finally someone from another office arrived. Um, they opened the door, so I'm, I'm kind of just saying to Ali, yep, no, it's all good, managed to get into the building, starting to walk through the door. And as I walked through the door, what I was not expecting was that lady to be forcibly closing the door in my face. It was a moment of frustration and confusion. I didn't really know what was going on, certainly wasn't expecting that. Um, and in that moment, I, I, I just said something like, what on earth are you doing? Like, it, it, nothing particularly aggressive, nothing particularly unkind, but my, I had frustration inside of me, and I was like, what, what is going on? My blood was pumping, you know. I definitely was frustrated. There was, there was stuff coming out of me. You know, it wasn't great. I was shocked when she said, well, I'm not permitted to let you into this building, and continued to try and close the door. I put my foot in the door, as, as you know, it, just, it just happened, and I was like, you're not closing the door on me. My office is on the second floor. I am coming in. Um, eventually, she, she did let us in, uh, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a pleasant exchange. So as she let us in, she walked off towards the lift. I thought I need to pick a different route. So I found the back stairs and started walking up the stairs. My colleagues who were with me followed me and we started walking up. And in that moment, you know, th th that sense of frustration and anger and adrenaline and not knowing what's going on, I tried to suppress that. I tried to make small talk with my colleagues. I tried to forget what had just happened. But it was nagging in my mind. Got into the office, um, I sat down at my desk, turned on my computer, and, and I tried to think, how am I going to get into this day? How can I ignore what's just happened? How can I suppress it? But that naggingness, that unease within me was still there. As I sat there, I knew that I needed to do something about what had just happened. Even though you know, I hadn't been particularly verbally or physically aggressive or anything like that, there was discomfort within me, and I knew that what had come out of me, maybe the tone of what had come out of me, wasn't what I expected of myself. I had fallen short of my own expectations in that moment. I also knew and had a real sense that actually I had fallen short of what God's expectations of me in that moment were. And so I sat at my desk uncomfortable until I realized I have to get up, I have to go and find her office, and I have to try and make amends with her. So I climbed the stairs, um, and as I got within two stairs of her office, genuinely, I can, I can remember vividly thinking to myself, is there another way that I could choose to suppress this? The ideas of a triple chocolate cookie came to mind, or maybe I would go and buy myself a coffee outside. Like, all sorts of things, thinking, how can I avoid dealing with what needs to be dealt with here? I didn't bottle it, I knocked on the door, um, and I found her, and, and I confessed. You know, I said, you know, this is what's happened, I'm sorry, there was frustration within me. Um, I, I responded to you in a way that, that wasn't the way I would want to respond to you. And she, in turn, then apologized to me and said that only a number of months before, in exactly the same situation, someone had forced their way in and then had threatened her before someone else came. And so it was a completely understandable, now I understand it, I know why she tried to close the door on me, but it was one of those situations that was difficult. Choosing to find her and confess, you know, to admit that there was something wrong about the way I responded to her and my attitude wasn't a comfortable thing to do. It wasn't easy to do, you know, it wasn't easy with her, it wasn't an easy thing to do with God. But having crossed that bridge of confession, 
I can tell you that I most definitely found myself on that side of freedom and forgiveness. The act of confessing to the, uh, the lady and the act of confessing to God allowed me to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that God talks about in that verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, there's a, there's a book um, by an author called Richard Foster. Um, the book's called Celebration of Discipline. And in it, he says um, something about confession, which is this. Confession is the spiritual discipline that allows us to enter into the grace and mercy of God in such a way that we experience forgiveness and healing for the sins and sorrows of the past. Confession is the act of choosing to step into alignment with God's wills and God, God's way. And as we confess the things that we know that we've done wrong to God, as we choose to acknowledge those and recognize them, there's something within us that shifts. God is always waiting. He is always willing. He is always approachable. He is completely full of grace and mercy. There's nothing so big. There's nothing so bad. There is nothing that he cannot choose to forgive. No attitude, no behavior. There is nothing that is outside of his ability to forgive. In the same book, um, Richard Foster says, at the heart of God is the desire to give and to forgive. It's who God is. Plain and simple, forgiveness defines who God is. But for you and me, you know, forgiveness can sometimes be tricky. You know, even when someone confesses to us, there can be times when actually choosing to forgive them can be a really difficult thing to do. We were talking with some friends recently, um, and they've just been through a pretty tough time with one of their children. There was a series of events that had left them feeling betrayed and um, just kind of frustrated, disappointed in her. Uh, in the end, she did choose to confess and, and own up to the things that she had been doing that, um, that were wrong. And for her father, although he felt betrayed, you know, he felt like he was able to um, kind of forgive. The wound wasn't too deep, um, and he could move past that point um, relatively quickly. But for her mother, it was quite a different story. She wanted to forgive. You know, after all, what parent doesn't want to forgive their child when they've done something wrong? But even though that was her desire, she desired to completely forgive her child, you know, the wound was deep, and she, she was feeling that pain quite deeply. And it took her a longer period before she felt able to, um, to f completely forgive and for that, that kind of frustration, disappointment to go away. And that's us as earthly parents, but our heavenly father, the God of the Bible, is not like that. He doesn't struggle with that period of forgiving someone. When we ask for forgiveness, he grants it immediately and freely to us. But more than that, he, he gets involved with making sure that the guilt and what's left behind gets cleaned away. He doesn't just forgive, he is actively involved in the process of cleansing us. So, so what, what do we do with all of this? You know, what is the point of us having talked about this a bit this morning? I want to suggest there are, there are three different things that might be our response. Um, and they might, might apply to different people depending on you know, whether you're following Jesus or, or how long you've been following him. Firstly, you know, for all of us, um, God is inviting us to stop fooling ourselves, to recognize that we do all fall short and that we do need to confess. He invites us to confess to him. 
And he does that not so that he can sit in judgment over us, but because he wants to forgive us. He wants to, to cleanse us. He wants to give us freedom. Freedom, forgiveness, cleansing, they are all right within grasp if we just choose to confess. God is inviting us to cross that bridge of confession so that we can step onto the other side where freedom and forgiveness are completely there. For others of us, you know, God is actually prompting you about a specific thing that you know that you need to, forgive, uh, to confess. You know, there's been some things that have been hanging over you for a little while now. And where those things involve another person, it might be that actually on the back of this morning, you, you need to make a, a, a coffee date with them to actually say, look, I've, I've been holding this against you, um, but I need you to know that I, I forgive you and I want to release it from that. We need God in that process, though. Just making amends with, with another person isn't enough. We also need to make amends with God. And so there, in that process, we need to confess these things both to the person and to God in order for the restoration of all of those relationships. And then finally, I think there's, there might well be some people who um, you've been struggling with the same patterns of behavior over and over again. You've been, you've been struggling for quite some time. And, and you, you, you know that you've done everything within yourself and within your own power to break the patterns, but it's just not happening. Um, and if that is you, then um, there's a verse in James chapter 5 that says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. healed. Um, and so if that is you, then you know, God is inviting you this morning to include someone else in that process, to confess to someone else, inviting God in and bringing that, um, that pattern of behavior to an end. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that you know, a cord of three stands is not easily broken. You might have heard that in a, in a wedding ceremony. But equally, it is just as relevant here that when we invite another person in alongside God to, to help us in the process of breaking a pattern of behavior, that is a powerful thing to do. Um, and so wherever you are in the morning, it, right now, I, if you feel comfortable, I'd invite you to stand. We're just going um, to move into a bit of a time of just praying and waiting on God um, and, and just seeing if there are things that, um, that God wants to do uh, amongst us this morning. So if you feel comfortable, why don't you just stand where you are?